The French film The Anatomy of a Fall won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 2023. That's one of the most prestigious honours in the world of cinema. It's been nominated and is winning all sorts of other prizes and awards and honours all across the world. Now, if you like dramatic criminal investigations and courtroom dramas, you're definitely going to like it. And if you like thinking deeply about the nature of truth and the limits of human knowledge, you're going to love it even more. Either way, Anatomy of a Fall is a great film, one to put on your shortlist. Stay tuned and you'll find out more. Welcome to Pink Door Culture Club, your eclectic entertainment guide. My name is Jeremiah Burns. This week, as I mentioned at the very top, we're looking at the 2023 French film Anatomy of a Fall. It's directed and co-written by Justine Triet, starring Sandra Hule. Even if you don't watch international films, I, I don't really watch international films. This is not my attempt to, fe- to sort of see more cultured than I, I really am. Even if this is not what you'd normally do, I would definitely recommend this one. And we'll get into why in a moment. I mean, I mentioned a few things at the top, but there's plenty to unpack here. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, Pink Door Culture Club is a podcast and a YouTube show. And I've switched to releasing this every Thursday afternoon. The idea is that, you know, if you're here in Australia or wherever you are, you know, you could listen to it on a Friday and it will send you into your weekend, maybe with something to think about of of what you might like to watch or or reflect on. Uh, Along with these regular reviews, which are longer, I'm also publishing shorter form videos called Pop Culture Proverbs. Uh, They're coming out during the week and they're kind of just little one minute clips Uh, with some wisdom for living inspired by whatever we've looked at the previous week. If you like the show, of course, it goes without saying, please make sure you subscribe, you share, you comment in the the section here on YouTube or or on the Facebook page, and also reach out and be in touch with me via that same Facebook page, or you can do that by emailing me at pinkdoorcultureclub at gmail.com. Well, the first segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called Spellbound, where we think about some of the strengths and and maybe the weaknesses of Anatomy of a Fall. First thing to say is the performances of the actors. These are refined, understated performances. And I think they really richly convey tension, inner turmoil, frustration, pain, and especially uncertainty. This is a film all about uncertainty. What happened? Who did it? Why did they do it? And Sandra Hula as uh, Sandra Voita, that's her character's name, also called Sandra, um, like she is outstanding as the lead in this, and she's had a range of nominations and wins for her acting in the role. And there's plenty of other great actors, but I would also call out Milo Mercado uh, Grainer, who plays Daniel, um, the son in this. He's also received a range of nominations for his performance. But perhaps even the best one is the Border Collie, 
the dog named Snoop. Now, we're going to hear a little bit more about him and uh, his performance uh, in another segment, but like he is a character in this film, and he he's really good and brings a lot of interest and heart to the film, and... He performs really well. You know, he's just a dog, but he performs really well. So definitely the performances are great. A second thing that's great about this film is the story arc uh, and structure. Mostly this is a traditional linear kind of film. It you know goes from the beginning to the end. Uh, that, that has a good sense, though, of pace and momentum that maintains interest and drives things forward it doesn't get bogged down even though this is two and a half hours it doesn't get bogged down uh, in my view there there are some ventures back or quite a few ventures back into the past but the way they do that is really interesting it's not it's almost never through flashbacks like a normal cinematic flashback they do it through things like um, the police will do recreations of what happened or lawyers will do recreations of, of the crime uh, or they'll, they'll sort of be looking at photographs of the past or they'll be discussing the past or someone will be recounting a memory. So it's the way they explore the past is very subjective and, and that makes it interesting as, as we'll talk about more uh, in a little while. There is an extended venture into the past at the end but the way they do that is that they have an audio recording of it and so they kind of do then go and show it happening as well but it's really based around an audio recording that's played to a courtroom so again there's a bit of an interesting angle on the flashback it does mean um, all of those different pieces mean that there's a lot of movement in terms of at different points who seems to be at fault and how that's being perceived. It reminded me of an Australian f- film from 1998 with Hugo Weaving called The Interview, where at different moments you, you think Hugo Weaving is, you know, a, a mastermind criminal, uh, and at other times you're like, oh, this guy's completely innocent, and it kind of shifts between those two. And, you know, the usual sus- suspects would be like a more Hollywood version of that. Um, and, and it seems to be that a lot of recent true crime podcasts are all based around that as well. Sort of going back, retracing the past, trying to think the past through in a different way to the way that prosecutors or, or litigators did. Um, you know, it's a reminder, as with many good films, or maybe any good films, that if you're going to tell a story about universal themes or ideas, you really need to ground that at the micro level in characters that we get to know and characters that we we feel for and I think this movie does that really well. A third thing that's interesting and strong about this film is the multitude of cameras. So I just sort of talked through before or just then around the multitude of ways that they delve into the past but there's also ways in which they present things on screen. So Primarily, it's the traditional lens of the director who's kind of framing things and shooting things. But you also have video from police interviews. You have videos from lawyers who are doing interviews. And you also have media reports. And then at other times, the camera tracks with the son, who uh, is, is basically blind. And at other times, it tracks with the dog 
who's also seeing things uh, for himself as well. And that creates that and really develops that sense of multiple competing perspectives. You know, you find yourself thinking about who's through who's who, you know through um, through which pair of eyes am I seeing these events? Whose whose perspective am I taking on uh, as I watch this film? Uh, you know, what's what's the agenda of that viewer or, or that actor? And, and I think that's a really clever way again of building a sense of a sophisticated sense of like competing ideas and, and narratives woven through through the story. A fourth and final thing that I liked about this film is the music. Um, the the character of Daniel or the son, he is practicing and playing the piano throughout the movie. And because he's learning, it's kind of slightly broken, staccato, discordant at times music that it kind of hangs in the air. And it creates that sense of, okay, there are there are patterns there there's a, a rhythm and a rhyme but it's not quite gelling in fact it's creating tension it's kind of symbolic of a house that's filled with tension um and and maybe even deception as well uh at, there, there is like a traditional soundtrack but sometimes that soundtrack is not there like at the end of the film like right at the end, a traditional soundtrack kicks in and it, it made me realize that, oh yeah, for the last 10, 15 minutes, there's been no soundtrack. And that is a bit unnerving because again, it leaves you in a bit of a vacuum where you're, you're so used to films telling you how to feel like this is the scary bit, this is the happy bit, that when that soundtrack's not there, again, everything's quite amb- ambiguous. It's not clear what you should feel. So when you when you put together the interesting ways of telling the past, the interesting camera angles and this this uh, soundtrack, it really goes together to, to reinforce some of those themes. The second segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called Rear Window. And the idea is to look more closely and think more deeply about some of the themes uh, and ideas arising from anatomy of a fall. And there's there's probably just two or three big things to explore here, but you know they they are pretty significant. And the first one is epistemology, which you know is just a fancy word in philosophy for what can we know. And how can we know it? It's it's the philosophy of knowledge. And I think this movie does like spells out some really interesting things. So so one thing I think the movie's saying and exploring is there are different ways of knowing things. So at the very start, there is a journalist interviewing the main character, and she can hear music and noise coming from upstairs where the husband is, where Samuel is, but she never sees Samuel. So she she hears him, she senses him, she senses the tension in the house, but she never sees him. Uh, Daniel, as the character who is blind that I mentioned before, like obviously he can hear and he can speak, but he can't see. And then Snoop, the dog, well, he, he can see and he can hear but he can't speak and so you've got there is this really rich theme of 
there are different ways of knowing not just not just one way not just a ma- it's not just a matter of seeing it's also a matter of sensing in different ways and another sort of idea being explored in this film is that language can extend or limit what we know um, it can provide a particular way of knowing and a particular way of expressing what we know and in that way it can also be a barrier to what we can know and access because in the film Sandra is from Germany she can she can obviously speak German she can speak French fairly well but it runs out at different points and she has to switch to English which is a second language for her but she's better at that than at French and you can see her getting caught in not being able to express herself and at other points people are imposing rules on her about how she must speak French at different points to different people so it becomes an interesting exploration of how language uh, can affect what we know and how we know and, and what we can express another aspect of this is that the film really explores the idea that there are times when we cannot know uh, things that are really important with certainty. We cannot have certain knowledge. Um, and, and as part of that, the way in which the same set of facts, the same data, can just be presented in, in, to, to support very different stories and very different conclusions. Uh, so so early on, Sandra is focused on the facts and she kind of says to her lawyer, look, you know, the fact is this, that and the other. And the lawyer is like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's not the important thing in this sort of situation. It's not so much the facts that matter. It's the way those facts are presented to people. It's the overarching story. It's how compelling that that story is. And the, the great example in the film is they're kind of discussing the way in which some blood was spattered at the crime scene and there's all these experts who have different accounts of like how it must have been this it can only be explained this way and another expert who's got a completely different explanation of how it can only be this that explains it so um, seemingly like objective facts but spun in very different ways and so there's lots of questions flowing through that of like okay which story makes the most sense? What story will people be most likely to believe? Which one is the most compelling narrative? And also, like a very explicit discussion at one point with the son about him making a choice about what to believe. As in, I've got facts one, two, and three, and I've got facts four, five, and six. The first three tell me this, the second three tell me that, I kind of just need to make a choice about what to believe. <laughs> what what do I what do I desire to believe? What do I want to believe? So a very interesting sort of you know investigation of of knowing in that way. Uh, as I, as you would have picked up through everything I've said so far, there's a, there's a lot about the the role of the legal profession in in this whole thing. So uh, particularly presenting foreigners in a certain way, presenting women in a certain way um, and this is probably just my ignorance because I'm so used to seeing American and Australian courts portrayed on screen but like the, the French courtroom seems pretty quirky to me like the prosecutor is seated up next to the judge and the judge is conducting their own questioning all the way through and 
Um, I kept expecting the defense lawyers to object, but they almost never did. And it was like a, a far more fluid discussion rather than like you have a turn and then I have a turn. So like that was just more of a, a tangent, but um, definitely an interesting insight into that legal system and and some themes there that would go with any any legal system. I was thinking of the, the famous case involving Lindy Chamberlain in Australia, you know, decades and decades ago, which was all about this. Like, we have these facts. How do we explain them? How do we tell the story? And what do people want to believe? Uh, and, and so obviously a famous case that eventually got overturned uh, in, in that one as well. More generally, like that, that's kind of all grounded in the film. Interesting ideas. More generally, that kind of then led me to thinking about uh, what society sees as valid ways of knowing. So it, it feels to me like our society on the one hand in the West is really obsessed with scientific ways of knowing, sort of born out of the Enlightenment and modernism. Um, and that makes sense because like, look at what science has brought us and the scientific method and that's great and we want to be rational and fantastic. But... I think there are limits to that as well. All right? There are truths that the scientific method cannot access. Science can't tell me if my wife loves me. Science can't tell me if Alexander the Great existed or not. Uh, science can't even tell me if a particular action is moral or, or immoral. Uh, it could tell me the consequence of the action, but whether that consequence is moral or immoral, that's not a scientific question. Uh, that's, it goes beyond, that goes beyond science and is grounded in, in something else. And then it feels also like our society is kind of obsessed, on the other hand, with personal ways of knowing, which is like the postmodern movement, where if I believe something, it is true for me. And so we kind of end up with a society of my truth versus your truth, which is far more where this movie is kind of located, where it's not that the facts don't matter at all, but there's kind of a view that ultimately it's the story that will prevail, which is really, a, I think, a very postmodern postmodern idea that the, the facts are secondary to the story. The story is what really matters, uh, which again, like makes sense because there's some truth to it, uh, but but again, is um, has got limitations as well, right? Where just because you believe something doesn't make it true, uh, belief doesn't actually, you know, bring something into existence or, or or make it true by itself. So I haven't fully re resolved that line of thought, but it was. I mean, that's that's what this movie movie made me think about all the ways in which the legal profession and you know, criminal proceedings sort of draw that out. And then more generally, the way that our society deals with questions of epistemology kind of torn between the, you know, old objective ideals and, you know, far more recent uh, subjective ideals. And then a second and, and final thing to that I was meditating on as I was watching this movie is, is on the nature of dysfunction in marriage. Um, I've done a previous episode recently about the Beckham documentary and kind of talked through that the Beckham playbook for a successful marriage. <laughs> well, you, you could kind of have a similar thing 
but it would be the anatomy of a fall recipe or playbook for a failed marriage. Um, and I, I won't go through every thing you would learn from this movie about that, but it really is a very rich and, and compelling view of marital dysfunction. Um, you know, I guess you've got that idea from the court case of battling narratives and that comes through into marriage here in this movie as well. Like marriage is, is the battleground of competing narratives. Um, I mean, there, there are some things in the film that I think are really positive that they show about marriage that look, marriage is going to involve conflict. You have to be able to cope with conflict. You have to be able to discuss conflict and think about conflict in marriage. That's just a reality. Like it's a very mature view of marriage in that way. It does involve interdependence. It does involve support, especially when you have hardship or grief, you are going to have to be able to help each other get through it. it, it and there's the big thing in the movie is it, it has to involve compromise and neutral ground and shared space. So in the film, that's to do with giving ground when it comes to your career and where you will live and even what language you will speak. Uh, all, all of those things come through in the film as, you know, l good lessons for marriage that, that you have to be able to deal with conflict. You have to be able to depend on each other. You have to be able to compromise and have some sort of shared or neutral space. However, where the film kind of ends up is highlighting that what marriage can't be, what a good or, or healthy marriage can't be, what it can't degenerate into is holding on to past grief and becoming absolutely obsessed with it. Like you do have to find a way to move on. Not that we'll, not that you can necessarily process everything perfectly and every wound will be healed, but you have to be able to sort of you know, make sense of past grief in some way so that you can move on in the relationship that is here and now. Um, marriage can't degenerate into refusing intimacy to the other, the other person for the rest of time and then blaming them when they seek that intimacy elsewhere. Marriage can't degenerate into resenting, and this is a huge one in the film, it can't degenerate into resenting the success of the other person and then holding them responsible for your own lack of success. Um, there's like a little, a really compelling little case study here of failure. Failure as bitter, self-absorbed procrastination that blames everyone else, especially a spouse, and never takes responsibility. So I think apart from epistemology, this film is such a rich, compelling exploration of, of marriage and like what it needs to be and also what it can't be. The final segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called The Man Who Knew Too Much where I just list off some other interesting trivia related to whatever we're looking at this week, Anatomy of a Fall. First thing to know is that Justine Triet wrote this film specifically or specially for Sandra Huller, and it's their second collaboration. I imagine it's very gratifying as an actor to have someone like make a film just for you to be in. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to think about how that affects the creative process. Um, 
Even more interesting is that on set, Hula, the actor, constantly asks Triet, is this character guilty or not? Uh, but Triet refused to answer that question. Um, now, that's I think that's really interesting. And that, that's part of why it's got to be part of why this performance is so interesting and why that uncertainty kind of hangs all the way through the film. Um, here, here's an interesting quote from Triet. Uh, I really wanted to delve into issues of relationships and cohabitation. It was also a pretext to dissect every aspect of their lives. Uh, and this article goes on to say, Triet further expressed her fascination with the Amanda Knox case, wherein a young American woman was accused of murdering her roommate, Meredith Kircher, in Italy in 2007. Uh, so it's interesting to get a little insight into the mind of the the co-writer and the director. Um, you know that she's really trying to think through cohabitation and also draw upon true crime or a real case of someone being prosecuted in a in a foreign country, as we see in the film. All right, now now the real trivia um, for his role as Snoop. Border Collie Messi was awarded the Palm Dog at the 2023 Cannes Film Festival. Like I had heard of the Palm Dior, um, but there's the Palm Dog as well. Now the Palm Dog Award is yearly awarded is a yearly award presented by the International Film Critics during the Cannes Film Festival, begun in 2001 by Toby Rose. It is awarded to the best performance by a canine, live or animated. Or group of canines. The award consists of a leather collar with the term palm dog. <laughs> Bluey, Bluey could get this award. Right? Yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, so like it, it wasn't just me who recognized the um, amazing work of this dog. And finally, an instrumental version of uh, rapper 50 Cent's PIMP track, which is the sort of heavy hip-hop track you hear at the start of this film and it comes up in the court case as well it features the rapper Snoop Dogg um, and the first character to appear in the film is the dog whose name is Snoop <laughs> anyway, I, as a dog lover I loved these um, pieces of, of dog trivia okay so that's it we're at the end of this episode of Pink Door Culture Club overall I think Anatomy of a Fall is a brilliant film. Like I would, my reaction is like, this is a five-star film, highly recommended. You know, I'm not, like I said at the start, I'm not some kind of international film snob, guru, anything like that. But this was really gripping, such great performances and such interesting, deep themes and ideas being explored throughout as I mentioned at the top, uh, remember that you can engage with the show as a YouTube show or as a podcast every Thursday afternoon, Australian time, and via some short form videos uh, uh, during the week as well. Uh, however you're engaging, make sure you like, you follow, you share, you comment and all of that. And of course, feel free to be in touch with me via the Facebook page. Or you can email me directly at pinkdoorcultureclub at gmail.com. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.